Father, this morning we just come to you, Lord. We just come to you, the author, the finisher of our faith. We have come here, Lord, for the hearing of your word brings faith. The entrance of your word brings life. Your word is spirit. And it is your spirit that quickens our mortal bodies, Lord. So, Father, by faith, we surrender our body, our soul, our spirit into the hands this morning. And Spirit of God, we pray, Lord, touch us through the ministry of this word, Lord. Let our hearts and our minds not wander. Help us to be focused on you and you alone, O God. Help us to give you reverence during the ministry of the word. Help us to give you undivided attention, Lord, that your spirit may be able to speak to us, Lord. So many writing that they want to hear you, Lord. And you speak through your word. And I pray today somebody will hear, Lord, and be set free. Because your word and your spirit alone can set us free. Speak, Father. We wait at your feet, for in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. We've been examining faith in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, very familiar portion. Scripture says, that's how we are saved. For by grace you have been saved. Salvation is the power of God. Only God saves and only God can save. By grace you have been saved, but it is through faith. That not of yourself, it is the gift. Both is a gift of God. But when God gives us faith, first he gives us a little faith, mustard seed faith, a measure of faith, as Romans 12 will call it, so that we can believe. And after that, it is up to us to increase that faith. We are saved through faith, but by grace. Everything that God does is by grace. But faith comes first. It's like the chicken and the egg. Which came first? Answer. Which came first? How do you know? Because Genesis chapter 1. That's a good answer. Because ever you are asked in school, which came first, the chicken and the egg, you must be absolutely confident the chicken. Because God did not say, let there be eggs. He said, let there be chickens. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. Absolutely. You should have no doubts about this. You should know your word and your conviction very clear. Doesn't matter what biology says. God made the chicken, not the egg. Okay. And the chicken had to wait until God said, be fruitful. (laughs) Okay. Please remember, everything is by God, of God. For God. And science doesn't glorify God. It glorifies man and his reasoning. Okay? So leave it aside. Write well. Do well. Get your marks and put your certificates away. So faith always has to come first. Because faith is the channel through which grace flows in. The power of the Holy Spirit flows in. The more faith you have, the more grace you can receive. And scripture says in John chapter 1 and verse 14, this is how Jesus came. And the word became flesh, dwelt among us, we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace. Full of grace. Samir, full of grace and full of truth. Okay, full of grace, full of truth. And then what does verse 16 says? <laughs> 
and of his fullness we have all received grace for grace. But to receive it, remember you need faith. The more faith, apply it, the more grace. Faith comes from hearing. Hearing from the word of God. It doesn't mean all those who have, all those who hear will automatically have faith. Everybody has ears. Everybody hears. It doesn't mean everybody has faith. Everybody reads the Bible. That doesn't mean everybody has faith. Like all my profs in my university when I was doing my PhD 25 years ago, oh boy, they knew portions of the Bible really, really well. They could give fantastic lectures that you could sit there and like, oh wow. No faith. No faith. Just a text. Okay, so you could hear, you could read. That doesn't mean necessarily faith comes. Faith comes according to our response to the word of God. How you and I respond to the word of God. Do we doubt? Do we worry? Are we fearful? Are we anxious? Do we reason too much? Are we offended? You could be in the absolutely perfect setting to believe the word and not believe. Let's look at an example in the Bible. Okay, Mark chapter 6 verses 1 to 3. Jesus left there and went to his went to his the word became flesh. What became flesh? And dwelt among us. Where did he dwell for 30 years? The word? In his hometown. That's Let's say 25 years. Bethlehem, Egypt, back. Let's say 25 years. 25 years the word dwelt in this place called Nazareth. Okay? Accompanied by his disciples. When Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were amazed. Then, where did this, where did this man? Get these things, they ask. What's this wisdom that has been given him? That he even does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? And the brother of James? Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Where? In his hometown. They were amazed. And verse 2 says they saw his wisdom. They were amazed. And verse 3, they saw his wisdom. But their issue is the carpenter shouldn't have that kind of wisdom. He should stick to his trade. I mean, same feelings were all over this country for five years. If you have been set in a caste, stick to your caste. You shouldn't be doing things which are outside your caste. Okay? Same feelings everywhere. Religious feelings are the same everywhere unless you know God and realize God doesn't have a caste. Okay. So if anybody asks you, what is your caste? What is your answer? What's your caste? In Christ, I'm an outcast. 
have gone outside the outside the gate to bear his reproach and have identified with him. I am in this world an outcast. That's my caste. No other caste. No, don't say SC, OBC and all that. My caste is OS, OC. What is that? Outcast. So that was their problem. Because they didn't like the miracles or the wisdom coming from that person. Look at Jesus' response in verse 4. Jesus said to them, only in his hometown, among his relatives, in his own house, is a prophet without honor. He says, you got to get so familiar that the prophet has no honor in his home, in his household, in his hometown. Be very, very careful about this. Very, very, very careful about this. Moses, first his wife Zipporah had problem with him. Then his elder brother had problem with him. Then his sister had problem with him. After that, the whole congregation had problem. It began there. Because they could not accept the fact, this is a man chosen by God. Okay. Let's look at verse 5. And he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. That's where you want to do Everybody tries. Let me tell you. All of you write this, write this prayer request. Lord, praying for salvation of unsaved family members. Aren't they the toughest to witness? Yes. They are the toughest to witness because they will not receive the word of God through you. And he was a man. He couldn't do anything. Some teeny mini headache or something he healed. That's where you want to do. That's where you want to, you want to help them. They are the closest to you, but they are the most resistant. Okay? He could not do anything. And how did he come? Full of grace. And out of his fullness, we received grace upon grace, except Nazareth. Nazareth did not, Nazareth did not receive. By? Because they were reasoning. And they were offended with their reasoning. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't that Mary's son? We don't know anything about Joseph. Usually that's not how people say. Usually that's not how people say. They don't call you by your mother's name. They call you by your father's name. Meaning there's a stigma attached to his name. We know who his mother is. We don't know who his father is. Who this dude trying to come and preach to us. Okay? Understand, culture, in that culture you are never called by your mother's name. Always known by your father's name. Even God calls himself the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. It doesn't say I'm the God of Sarah, Rebecca and Rachel. Doesn't Because their identity is merged with the husband and never separated. But here, you need to understand where these dialogues are coming from. Okay, where this is coming from. So he couldn't do anything. And verse 6, if I have it in NIV, he was amazed at what? The lack of faith. Amazed at the lack of faith. Are you amazed? That's why we have to examine our faith. Because you could be in the right home, 
among the right relatives, in the right town, in the right church, with no faith. Ajay, you have your Bible with you? Give me a microphone. Come Ajay, bring your Bible. Or else I can, he can always use this. Come, come up, come up. You are last Sunday's Bakra, this Sunday's Bakra, come. You have Psalm 131? You have your Bible? Open to Psalm 131? Okay. Yeah, read Psalm 130. I'll hold it for you. So you, if your hands are trembling, hold it with both hands, okay? I'll give you some courage. Okay, read. My heart is, my heart is not proud, Lord. My, my eyes are not haughty. I did not, I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me, but I have calm, calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child I am content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. You know this song? Literally hundreds of people, depressed, discouraged, suicidal, have given them this psalm. It has set them free. But you are all smiling because you are looking at the package and not at the word that you were speaking was exactly the word of the living God. Literally rescued people from suicide over these two verses. Or three words. I said the shortest psalm in the whole Bible. If you meditate upon it and practice it, you are free. What happened? We looked at the package. We looked at the package and not the word. We all can be caught in the same trap. Residents of Nazareth, let us listen to the next part of the message. See, you have to examine, we have to examine our faith. Because God has said in his word, out of the mouth of, that's why your ears should be always open, because you do not know from where God will and through whom or what God will speak. You do not know. Because God is the God of everything. The whole creation declares his glory. Everything is orchestrated by him. And you have to say, Lord, this day you have given me, let my eyes and my ear, my senses, my spirit be open to hear you, Lord, that I don't miss you. Miss what you are trying to tell me. Tell me something. Examine yourself. Examine yourself. Now Luke will give a more detailed account of what happened in Nazareth. Let's turn to Luke's narrative. Because you have to read Luke chapter 4. 24 onwards. He said, Assuredly I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heaven was shut up three years and six months. And there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. There were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet. We did not know. Did we know? The Bible doesn't record. Jesus knows everything. He says during Elijah's time there were plenty of lepers. Nobody was healed because nobody had the faith to come to Elisha and says we believe. You can do it. There were so many widows in Israel but God knew there was not a single widow to whom he could command. I'm sending my prophet. Feed him. But there was one in Sidon. Because all God is looking for is faith. 
When the word comes, what is your response? And many, none of them was cleansed except Naman the Syrian. And then, all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. Where is this happening? Nazareth. Nazareth. And rose up and thrust him out of the city. They led him to the brow of the hill, hill on which their city was built and they might throw him down the cliff. And passing through the midst of them, he went his way. So this is not ordinary unbelief. This is violent unbelief. Hometown. Our people. Our church. Please don't underestimate the lack of faith. Yet these people are all called believers in their culture. Because they go regularly to the synagogue or church. They do their rituals, sing their songs, read their Torah or Bible. In modern day language, they are regular church goers. That's why we should constantly examine our faith. What is my response to the word of God? The word became flesh, dwelt among us. He came full of grace and full of truth. And out of his fullness, we received grace upon grace. When he went to certain places, and he preached, they saw his word, they knew it was powerful. They saw his acts, it was powerful. But all they wanted to do was kill him. Because he offended them. So God orchestrates situations in our life that we may discover what is our response to the word of God. Do we have faith? No faith? Violent unbelief? Casual unbelief? But the whole purpose is to show us, to teach us, and not to destroy us. God's plans are always good. God is good? All the time. Everything he does is because he's good. Out of his goodness he does. So he orchestrates situations. That's why we see in the Bible so many situations happening with Jesus or when the disciples are in boats because he's showing them. You walked with me. You are experienced. You have seen practical theory, everything. Let me see if you have the faith. So please remember it's a journey. Sometimes we have little faith to start the journey. But we need to ask, is it enough to finish the journey? Starting a journey is one thing. Finishing the journey is one thing. When you finish the journey, you have to finish this race. You have to fight this fight. And at the end, you should be able to say that I kept the faith. That's Paul's finale. Let's look at Hebrews 12 and verse 2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Who is the author and perfect. Is that NIV? Yeah. I think I put it on the side NIV, right? Didn't I? Yeah. Because NIV will put it in, I mean, it's all the same, but author and perfecter of our faith. Who is the author of our faith? Jesus. We heard the living word and we started this journey. But he is not only the author, he is also the perfecter or the finisher. He starts, he finishes. So faith is a journey. It's a journey. He's the author 
and the perfecter of our faith, of the finisher of our faith. That means you have to continuously hear. Don't revert back to a religious life. That is, that part has to be there in our life, your daily worship, your daily devotions, all that has to be there. But it is not religion, it is living. But you are constantly hearing from God because it's a journey. But the problem is this. It's a journey. The author and the finisher of our faith. Okay? Faith is a journey. You're on the road. It is called a narrow road, not a broad road. It's a very narrow road and you're on the road. But you cannot do, finish this journey unless you're on the road. That's the difference between Abraham and Lot. Living by the faith and walking by faith. Lot was what you would call a typically good Christian. He went to church, read his Bible, said his prayers, that's it. Attended church regularly, gave his tithes. That's how you would put Lot as a category. But never heard, never walked. Therefore, he never finished his race. Look at James chapter 2 about Abraham. Verse 21, was not our Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was working together with his works, and by works, faith was made, he finished. Faith was made. When did this journey of his faith begin? Stephen will say, what is not there in the book of Old Testament, Stephen will say it began in the hour of the Chaldeans when God told him, leave. We don't know how old he was. We know when he entered the promised land, he was 75. When he heard first, we do not know. So let us say he was 60 years old. So the journey of faith started at 60. But he's on the road. He made lots of mistakes. God corrects him, puts him back, but he's on the journey. When do you think this happened? We don't know. We know Isaac was born when he was 100 years old. So how old was Isaac when he was tied onto the altar? We don't know. 15, 20. Theology says 33. Because Isaac is a type of Jesus Christ. So Jesus died at 33. So theology says Isaac was 33 year old, young, strapping, strong man. His father was 133. And he surrendered and allowed his father to tie him onto the altar. Just like Jesus. Okay? So if he is 133... And it began his journey, let us say, at 60. So it took him 73 years of this journey of faith. And God says his faith was perfected. So there is a finishing. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. Author and finisher of his faith. So always remember this. Faith, this walk of faith is a journey and you have to finish it. There are lots of obstacles one has to cross in this journey of faith. And the biggest obstacle, which we don't even realize is an obstacle. Because it's a glass bubble in which we live. See, if you live live in an absolutely perfect glass bubble, we don't even know there is a glass bubble because it is transparent. And 1 John 5, 4 tells us what this glass bubble is. What is it? For whatever is born of God, Overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. That is what? So what do we have to overcome? The glass bubble. The world in which we live. All of us are living in this world system. 
That's why always before the message, I'll give you a recap on something that happened. Because look at what's happening in the world. The current headline news, apply faith to it and see how does it apply to me. How do I read news? You don't have to read 1045 pages of the verdict. <laughs> no, you're not the only one. I got it from four other people. <laughs> okay. You don't have to read it. That only a lawyer can read. Lawyer can't, if you don't know your law, you will not understand the Supreme Court verdict. Not just the law of the world, you have to understand the law of India. In the law of the India, according to the law of India, every Hindu deity is a minor and he has a trustee. Therefore, the man is representing the deity. So the land is given to the deity because it belongs to him. According to Indian law. According to Indian law, Every Hindu god is a minor and he has a trustee, he has a guardian. So that original man who went and filed the petition, he is going as the guardian of Ram. And asking for the land. That is why the land is given to Ram Lala on behalf of that guardian. You have to understand how the law works. We don't understand the law, we will wonder what is happening. But does it apply to us? Apply to us is in the spiritual form. One day you take my building away, it doesn't matter. Because my God lives in my heart. He lives inside me. You cannot take that away. And wherever we gather, he's there. So we have to read it differently. We have to read it differently. So you have to look here. This is this bubble in which we all live. And you have to overcome it. In this journey of faith, if we don't overcome this world, then you don't finish your race. And this world is what? Paul says we walk by sight. In this world, how do people walk? Sight. When you talk about sight, simple lesson, you have your eyes, your ears, your nose, that is your smell, your taste, and your touch. These five senses come together from the time the baby is conceived. These senses start working. It starts getting information. It gets into your brain. You start reasoning out how to live. That's how you live in this world. But the problem is this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7, God says, we walk by and not by. But this is how we, how we. And you know, we are called, believers are called to walk by faith and not by. And it's very difficult. You know, if I close my eyes, Because I already see it. I know even from there it is dangerous. After that I need to move. See? And the minute your eyes are gone, suddenly your senses are cut. And then think about somebody who can't see and who can't hear. How do you perceive? Your perception changes. Imagine somebody who cannot see, cannot hear, cannot smell. Perception changes. What you eat? really don't matter. What happens if you can't see, cannot smell, cannot hear and have no taste? What if you cannot see, cannot hear, cannot smell, cannot taste and have no touch? How do you, how do you perceive? But a believer, even if he loses his eyes, his ears, his nose, his taste and his touch, still can perceive in his spirit. 
pursue in his spirit. My people shall walk by faith and not by sight. So even though you are perceiving what I am saying with your senses, you have to interpret it with your spirit. That is faith comes from hearing. Do not interpret it just with your reasoning alone. It can be dangerous because reasoning can be factored in by these senses. Like one of the most interesting, unbelievable battles between sight and faith is recorded in the book of Genesis. And God doesn't make anything easy for believers. I was telling Pastor Vijay yesterday, God could have made it very easy, you know. Isaac, Uttam Purush, wonderful young man, waits, marries this awesome girl, fast for 20 years, she's pregnant. What if it was written, she was pregnant only with one child, and his name was Jacob. How easy things are, right? Why should I have to be twins? And then I promise that the elder shall serve the younger. Why does God make things difficult? The test of your faith. If it is only... Isaac married Rebecca. Next year they had a baby boy. It is written. And that baby boy was Jacob. And Jacob was this godly young man. Where is faith then? It's all sight. And it's your faith that is tested. So Isaac waits 40 years. There is not a suitable girl for him anywhere over there. And God is watching him to see, will you wait for 40 years in this land and be single? And he surrenders to the will of his father. Father says, not a girl from here. Go to my father's house, find a girl. And the girl is found. The girl comes, marries. Next thing you know, she's barren. How many years? 20 years. Will you wait or take a concubine? He waited. Then she is pregnant. And then out of the blue, you hear his twins. And then you hear this prophecy. It's not the elder. It is the younger who is chosen. He already is thinking in his head. My father had two sons. And I know that the bond of trouble that was caused in the family by the elder. and the, Because the elder hated me. God doesn't make it simple for any believer. This is the test of my faith. Whether you believe me that I am sovereign, I can work it out all according to my plan, perfect, if you believe and if you obey. But an incredible situation happens in Genesis chapter 27. If you want to see sight and faith in conflict, that's there. One, it came to pass when Isaac was old and his eyes were so dim he could not see. The first thing it is written over that he could not see. Akha, band. But what he's going to speak is something that is connected with faith, prophetic. He calls Esau and says, go, make me something that I like, hunt, cook, and I will give you my blessing. That blessing is connected with faith because God has spoken. It's not connected with sight, it is connected with faith. God has spoken something that is the younger that is chosen, not the elder. The mother hears, the brother hears, everybody hears, there's a huge family plot taking place over there. Look at verse 15. Rebecca took the choice clothes of her elder son Esau which were with her in the house and put them on Jacob, her younger son. He said, change your clothes. Because I know your father. Your eyes may be dim, but his nose is pretty good. He knows Esau's smell. Put his clothes. Second, she put skins of the kid's goats on his hands on the smooth part of his neck. He says, you are smooth. He is hairy. I know your father. Touch. Verse 17. 
She gave savory food and bread which she had prepared into the hands of her son. She made. Not Jacob is a good cook. But the mother knows exactly how Esau cooks. You don't make. He will know it's you who made and not your brother. I know your father's tongue. It's verse 17. Now come to verse 21. I said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. Come here. Let me feel you. Next verse I gave you. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father. He felt him and he said, the voice is the voice of Isaac gone. Okay, five senses. Isa not working. But ears are very sharp. The voice is the voice of Jacob. But the hands are the hands of Esau. Again, he did not recognize him because the hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. Then he said, are you really my son Esau? This is what I talk about the stubbornness of a believer when he chooses to go in the flesh. He's making it very sure that I will bless Esau against God's will. It's what happens if you allow the flesh to grow. The flesh will go with the flesh. It doesn't matter how long you have dwelt in the tents with Jacob. Your flesh longs for Esau who is outside. Let's look at the next verse. Yeah. He said, bring it near to me. I will eat of my son's game so that my soul may bless you. So brought it near to him. He ate it. He brought him wine and he drank. He's not blessing him. Listen carefully. Trust him. Eight, and then, then his father Isaac said, come near now and kiss me, my son. It's not that let me kiss you. It's not let me kiss you. That's a sign of affection. No, you kiss me. Still doubt. He came near and kissed him and he, he using every sense to be very sure this is Esau and not Jacob. You see? And Rebecca knew her husband. Rebecca knew your husband very well. He said, his eyes may be gone. You don't underestimate him. I know how stubborn he can be. When he was with God, he was absolutely persevered to follow God's will. Those kind of people who are absolutely, they have that perseverance to follow guilt. When they go in the way of the will, they will take that stubbornness here. Only perseverance has become stubbornness now. He smelt him. And blessed him and said, surely the smell of my son is the smell of a field. Did you see it? Couldn't see. But the voice sounded like Jacob's. So he wanted to be very, very sure. So use the other three senses. He touched him. He ate his food. He smelt him. And then he blessed him. But the fellow of faith took the blessing and walked away. Fellow of faith took the blessing of the man of sight and walked away quietly. So be very, very careful about this physical senses and your reason. You can go absolutely wrong. And this is the defining moment in Isaac's life. And after that, you don't hear about Isaac. Isaac is gone. Though he lived for another 40 years. Gone. The only thing you will hear about him after this incident is Isaac died and his sons Jacob and Esau buried. That's all. Why? Because he did not finish. 
It did not allow God to finish because the glass bubble trapped him. Call the world, you went by the senses. And it can happen to anyone, anywhere. That's why you have to be very, very careful. Let's think about a church with 10,000 members. Pulsating music. That's why I always will go and say, cut down the sound. Because everywhere the music has its own power. Sound, music, psychedelic colors on the background. If you look at all these modern churches, huge screens, colors flashing. And they have smoke also, any of the churches. That, to ears, your eyes, and your smell. And you will be going, hallelujah. It's got nothing to do with worship. You've been overpowered by your senses. Overpowered by your senses. And you feel good when you leave church. Then you realize nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. Because faith comes from? And hearing from thee? You have to hear the Holy Spirit speak to you when you are listening or reading the word of God. That is how faith comes. And without faith, no grace comes in. Without grace, you are dead. Dead men, women, children walking in your particular situation. But let's take an Orthodox, Russian, Greek, Syrian or any of these Orthodox churches. There it is ambient. So let us say the Sistine Chapel in Rome. It's ambience. You go to Sistine Chapel and all, it is like, woo! The grandeur of the setting. The Pope comes in with 500 or 300 of his cardinals all in purple. The grandeur, the Swiss guards, the grandeur catches your eyes. Or an orthodox setting of the priest comes with his cap and everything. And then there is smoke. It's all your senses. Like when we grew up, it was that way. You didn't even understand what they were saying until it changed. The liturgy changes from Syriac to Malayalam. We didn't understand what was being said. Nobody understood what was saying because it was all spoken in, in Syriac. And it is like on that tone and this thing and everybody's kneeling, getting up, kneeling, getting up, kneeling, getting up, kneeling, getting up. So one day I asked my grandfather, can I go to the other church? There's another Catholic church where worship is 40, the whole service is 40 minutes and you're free. He said, go. My first experience in that church is that you had to leave your sandals outside. I lost my sandals. <laughs> so second Sunday, I sat near the door and kept one eye and <laughs> on the sandals. Later when I got saved, I realized it was written, watch and pray. <laughs> but I'm telling you, the ambience can set you off. And you have very religiously gone up and down and up and down and tortured yourself because the carpet is made of choir and your knees really hurt and you go back home feeling so good. It was all senses. There was no faith there. Absolutely no faith there. No faith there. So, doesn't matter where it is. You see, your senses can overpower you and give you a feeling that you worshipped without faith or grace coming into your life and you actually see people haven't changed and they actually like Isaac becoming more stubborn and more stubborn and more stubborn and more stubborn in their ways because the minute grace stops flowing, flesh takes over and the flesh grows stronger and stronger. But where grace flowing in, then you will see like Jacob, 
growing in the faith, growing in the faith, seeing better, seeing better, seeing better. All like Moses written, he was 120 years when he died. His eyes had not lost his sight or his hearing or his strength. Spiritually, he's walking with God. So don't get fooled. <laughs> don't get this sensory feelings and think you have worshipped. Goose pimples don't mean you hurt. So please remember, this is how God does. That's why God took his children, Israel, out of Egypt and led them into the wilderness. No ambience, no sounds, no smell, nothing. Wore the same clothes for 40 years. Nothing. And said, listen to my voice. Learn to listen to my voice. The greatest prophet of the Old Testament, John the Baptist, who declared Jesus, point Jesus to the world, was taken as a child into the desert. And he grew up in the desert all the days of his life until he was presented to Israel so that he would not allow senses to mess up the revelation of God that would come to him so that when he knew Jesus, he knew this was Jesus. And God took his only son, <coughs> kept him, in a city or a town called Nazareth. So that when he was displayed to the world at 30. Nazareth, Nazareth, Nazareth. You go, read the entire Old Testament. You will not find Nazareth in the Bible. Do you know that? Nazareth is not there in the Old Testament. Where did God put his son? In Nazareth. Look at what the Bible says about it. Matthew chapter 2 and verse 23. He came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. But which prophet spoke about it? Nobody. Which prophet spoke? You read from Genesis to Malachi and tell me if you can find this. So what prophecy are they talking about? You know what the prophecy is? He was despised of all people. So if you were from Nazareth, you were despised. Now we understand Nathaniel's reaction. Go to Genesis, sorry, John. Philip from Nathaniel and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathaniel said, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? What are you talking about? That is how Nazareth was despised in the eyes of the Jewish people. And God put his son over there. Son over there. He says, when you come out, you will have no ambience, no grandeur, nothing. It will be me working through you alone. Nothing else. Did we get it? You got it wrong, Dr. Nathaniel. <laughs> the best of the best came out of Nazareth. French, you will say, cream de la cream. The best. Your reasoning is wrong. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Yes, the best will come out of Nazareth. Oh, you Bethlehem Ephrathah. Who are small among the clans of Judah. Who are 
small among all the clans of Judah, out of you. Don't go by your reasoning. Don't go by your reasoning. Don't reason too much. How can I save Israel? Who said that? Gideon. My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. And my family is the smallest in my clan. And I am the weakest in my family. Don't reason too much, Gideon. Because many of you reason like that. You reason like that. And faith stops. Don't reason the other way also. My clan is the biggest in Telangana. My family is ready. Therefore, God has chosen me. Nothing like that either. You will be dismissed. Don't think too much. Don't think too less. Just leave it to God. Believe. Believe. Don't reason too much. Reason blocks faith. You can go to the other extreme. Look at me. Look at me. Look at my complexion. Flawless. Look at my hair. Wow. It weighs this many shekels. Look at me. Everywhere I go, every head turn, man, woman, child, donkey also turns and looks at me. Everyone looks at me. Everyone looks at me. Oh, they all must be thinking, we wish he was our king instead of that old man called David. But David, God says, that's my man. And you think you're the people's man. Don't reason too much, Absalom. Your head will be stuck in a tree with three spears in your heart one day because you thought you were the cat's whiskers. Don't reason too much either way. Don't reason too much either way. You are in danger. You are in danger of being dismissed by God. Because God dwells only with those who are weak and contrite, who think nothing about themselves. Because faith focuses only on one person, God. And its ears are open only to what he says. Faith takes God at his word. So you see, we all see, we hear, we smell, we taste, we feel, and then we reason. Then out of the blue, a man of faith comes and he beats reason every time. Every time. Every time faith will beat sight. Because into faith comes grace, the power of heaven comes in. So there is an incredible scene in John chapter 11 that happens in Nazareth. Okay, you know the background. Lazarus is dead, dead for four days. Jesus comes over there. The sisters are all, all weeping. And Jesus loved this family. And he comes over there and there is a graveyard, a little before graveyard scene, where there is a dialogue between Jesus and Martha, 1140. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? We just read it casually. But if you have got your color marker, this is what you have to mark. Believe and then see. Faith comes before sight. Lord, I want to see. Believe. If you believe, you will see. Do you believe? Do you believe I am the you believe I am the life? But now he's dead. So you don't want healing. You don't want deliverance. You believe I am life. But that's not what I'm asking. Do you believe I am the resurrection? Do you believe? Maybe something in your life is dead. No hope at all. Maybe it's your marriage, maybe it's your child, I don't care what it is. 
your work, your PhD thesis. I don't know what it is because PhD thesis sometimes just die in your hands. And you need resurrection power to bring it back. Because the killer is your supervisor. Different situation applied by faith. Jesus said, if you believe, you will see. What comes first? Faith. The believer always what comes first? Ajay, what comes first? Faith. And not sight. The next verses are awesome. Read scripture always when you read scripture. Especially when Jesus is speaking. Slow down. Slow down. This is the master speaking. Okay, Awesome verses. Slowly, carefully. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you, you, he hasn't prayed yet. Look at his grammar. That's not how we'll pray. Father, I thank you, believing that you will hear me. No, Father, I thank you that you heard me. That's right. When you read scripture, there are no grammatical errors here. This is faith. Faith always speaks a different language altogether. It may not fit in with your grammar. But it fits in with the kingdom of God's grammar. Because he has seen the end from the beginning. He calls those things that are not as if they are. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. You have heard me. Isn't it awesome? Listen to Elijah on Mount Carmel. Fire has come. Everything is done. Prophets are taken. Prophets are slaughtered. Everybody is at the bottom of the hill. Not at the top of the hill. Everybody is at the bottom. No rain. No dew. No cloud. Nothing. As clear as ever before. Spotless. Sky. Nothing. Listen to what he says. Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of abundance of rain. Go. Go. Eat. Today is a day of celebration. Why? The famine stops now. Why? I hear the sound of rain. Go. He hasn't gone up and prayed yet. He'll go up and pray. Get on on his knees with his head on his, between his knees and he'll send his servant eight times before that fellow will see a little cloud coming as a hand. But before any of these things happen, even before he has ascended the mountain, he says, go. I hear the sound of rain. I hear. I hear the sound of rain. Understand the language of God. Understand. Father, I thank you for you have. You heard me. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Let's go back to Jesus. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And verse 42, Lord, when will a day come in my life where I will be able to say, I know you always hear me. I know you always hear me. So Lord, I'm speaking this out loud, not for your sake but for the sake of the people, that they may know how to walk in faith. We don't have to talk. We know each other very well. But there are others who need to learn. 
people who will come into the kingdom hundreds, thousands of years later, still coming in, and they all need to know the kingdom of God is the kingdom of faith. Father, I know you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. How do you and I know? How do you and I know that he will hear us? So that we'll have that boldness, confidence to say, Lord, I know you have heard us. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. It is John who will give us all these secrets. Okay? That was in John, and this is John. Now this is the conf... Okay, go, 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 go. You, you jumped the gun. John 5. Now this is the confidence that we have, not in us, in him. We have the confidence in him, that if we ask Anything according to his will, he hears us. So the key is that we need to walk according to his. Do you have ears? Did you hear Raj praying? Another man is praying. Mind was wandering. Or did he say, Lord, help us to surrender our body and our mind so that we shall know what is the good, pleasing, perfect will of God. Did you hear? All those who have ears, let them. Because you do not know when God is speaking to you. Is it during worship? Worship. The songs are wonderful. We sing. Hallelujah, we sing. And God says, you sang. I took you seriously. Now your song will be tested when you step out. You spoke back to me. That was your faith being expressed. Now we'll test you through this week whether you meant what you sang. All to Jesus I surrender. Did you mean it? But you sang it. God says, I take you at your word. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, that means we can know that he's hearing us. Whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. That's how Jesus walked. Why did he know absolute assurance? Because he was walking in the perfect will of God. Not good or pleasing. Perfect will of God. He was walking in the perfect will of God. Lord, how do I reach that place? Can I, Lord? God says, yes, you can. If my son can, you can. In him, you can. Do you remember the slide we saw last week? Therefore, add to faith. What? All diligence. Keep adding to faith and keep adding to faith. Keep adding faith to faith and adding to faith. Virtue to virtue. Knowledge. We have the slide. Self-control. Perseverance. Godliness. Brotherly love. All this. All this. You have to keep on adding. Keep on adding. Keep on adding. But faith comes in the beginning. Keep on adding to faith and keep on adding these to faith. Perseverance. All can be good with faith, not in isolation. Isolation, the world will world will uh, appreciate it. Once there was, I don't know which century. I forgot the century because I don't remember which century he lived in. This little boy in a mathematics class in the school, village school. A difficult problem was given. Everybody tried cracking their head. They couldn't get it. 
teacher left. Evening, the mother came to the school because the boy hasn't come back home. The teacher went to the teacher. Where's my son? The son. Teacher went, opened the school room. The little fellow is sitting there in his desk, fast asleep. They brought the lamp. The boy woke up and he looked at the teacher and said, I got the answer. Is it perseverance good? Do you know the name of that boy? Napoleon Bonaparte. That's why you have in maths a theorem called Napoleon's theorem. Not that he founded it, but in his honor, because he was a mathematician from childhood. That math he applied on the battlefield and almost conquered all of Europe. It was mathematically precise. What killed him and defeated him was the Russian snow. The weather, the climate, not the Russian army. So you need to realize you can have perseverance. Yet we don't know where he is today. You can be fearless and yet have no faith. Who defeated him? Two guys. One of them was Duke of Wellington. When Duke of Wellington was a little boy, he got lost in a forest. His parents panicked and they found him only one day later when the little boy was uh, coming out of the forest. So the parents asked him, son, son, were you not afraid? He said, what is fear? These are the things which I used to give every five minutes, the first period each each class when I was a teacher 35 years ago to see that my people were not the students of a subject, they were students of life. So I'm teaching you something, giving you what I taught 35 years ago. In the 1980s. I don't know how many years ago it was. Okay. So he, they, they had all this stuff, but that is not the point. The point is, do you have faith? And then to faith whether these things are added. Virtue is fantastic. But what's the point of virtue? Without faith. All these things. And if you go to verse 8, scripture says, but for this, yeah, for these things are yours and abound, you will be neither. You have to have these things and you need to keep on growing in these things. It's not have to have virtue, but you keep on growing in this. Meaning the walk of faith is the walk of growth. Keep on growing in this. And verse 10. Therefore, brethren, even more diligent to make your call and election sure. If you do, you have to add these things. You have to grow in these things. You have to do these things. You will never stumble in what? I was walking and I stumbled and fell. So what is stumbling here used with? In your walk of faith. You will never stumble. It's a question, the rhetorical question we ask. Jesus said, Lord, I know you always hear me. How do we reach there? This is a road. There's no other road. There's no other road. Keep adding to your faith. Keep adding this to your faith. Keep on abounding in this. Keep on doing these things. And in your walk of faith, a point will come. You realize you don't stumble. It doesn't matter how horrible your circumstances are. Your walk of faith. Understand these things. Let's go back to Lazarus. Look again at the Lazarus incident, John chapter 11. Therefore the sister sent to him saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. 
When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. What does it mean? He knew the will of God in this situation. He Lord, oh, he's dying, I'm running. No, he's not going to die. How do you know? Because I know. That's why all these things are written. This is to make him come fast, to add speed to his legs. The whom you love is sick. Add speed to the legs. Jesus said no. They are hoping for God's speed. God says, slow down. You don't have to run. He says, nothing. Nothing is going to happen. Because they are all panicking. Because the disciples are, because they said, one home we can get good meal is that house. Let's go. Verse 6. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. What does it mean? It means he knew God's timing. He did not only knew God's purpose in Lazarus' life, he also knew God's timing in Lazarus' life. So he didn't have to hurry. He didn't have to hurry. Therefore he had the assurance to pray, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Are you getting it? That's why life with Christ is a life of faith. And faith comes from hearing from the word of God. So when you pray, we have to pray like the disciples. You know what they prayed? In Luke chapter 17 verse 5, the apostles said to the Lord, Lord, please increase our faith. Please increase. Is that your prayer? That's the title, okay? Sammy, in case I forget, Lord, increase our faith. Lord, increase. It's a prayer. Lord, increase our faith. Now they prayed, increase our faith. Is that your prayer? I won't even ask you to lift your hands because you lift your hands, I may see and I forget. He never forgets anything. (laughs) He never forgets anything. He says, I saw your hand. And you step out, you think faith will come like a table, instant trouble comes. Always happening. I said, I saw your hand. Increase our faith. So every boat they went in was hit by a storm. Right? They thought, increase our faith. Smooth sailing. God said, no. Nobody's faith grows in smooth weather. Lots of money. Wife like honey. Nobody's faith grows. Struggle for money. And honey is not a bunny. (laughs) And God says, Lord, why did I say I want a perfect partner? Honey, you got a perfect partner. This one will make you grow in faith. (laughs) That's perfect. Because why did I say in my word? I shall make your faith perfect. So I gave you a perfect partner. Any complaints, anybody? (laughs) Unless you know scripture and try to see scripturally, you will not grow. 
you will not grow because faith is the most important after love of course but most important is faith three times in the bible no you new covenant jesus says romans 17 uh, 117 my righteous shall live by faith and the faith unto faith galatians 3:11 same thing my righteous shall live by faith hebrews 10:38 my righteous shall live by faith and if you draw back meaning you stop and start retreating my soul will not be pleased with you and then hebrews 11:6 it is impossible to please God without faith. And we saw 1 John 5, 4. Everyone born of God overcomes the world. How do we overcome? By faith. You don't want to be empty heads over there. You want a crown on your head, you have to overcome. I don't know what empty heads will do in heaven. Lord, increase my faith. The question is, how do we increase our faith? After the message is over, some of you wish I did. I wish I hadn't known. I thought it was some easy three steps to increasing your faith. Luke 17, 5 is where they said increase our faith. Let's go to Luke chapter 17, verses 1 to 5. Context. Yeah. Luke 17, verses 1 to 5. Do we have it? Yeah. Then he said to the disciples, impossible that no offenses should come. But woe to him through whom they do come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea that he should offend one of these little ones. So let's look at the content. His offenses will come. Please remember Jesus saying, after Adam and Eve fell, we all live in a fallen world. And fallen world, fallen people, you will offend each other. Offenses will come. But he said, be very careful about offending these little ones. And when you're talking about little ones, he's talking about children. How do you know? Context. In other passages, you have to look at context. So let me look at the context in Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 to 7. Yeah. At that time, disciples came to Jesus saying, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Everybody wants to know who is the greatest. Jesus called a little child to them and set him in the midst of them. And then, verse 3. Said, assuredly I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. He said, you cannot. You need to be like, become like them. Absolute trust, absolute faith. Their trust. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Who wants to be like a little child? Hmm. Then, whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. Kavathe. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. That's where Jeffrey Epstein is now because he was a feudophile. That's where most of the political leaders of this world will end up when judgment comes because they are all feudophiles. They have made children fall. Abuse children. And so many other ways. Your children fall. Okay? Spiritual fear of failure is also there. God says, be careful. These little ones who believe in me, don't make them fall. Don't make them fall. Offenses will come. Let's go back to the text again. Okay? Who are Yeah, let's go back to Luke chapter 17. He said to his disciples, it is impossible that no offenses would come. So offenses will come. All will be offended. It is part of life. Verses 3 to 4, he is speaking to us. 
take heed to yourself. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. Fences will come. Deal with it as issues. Deal with their issues. But walk in forgiveness. If he sins against you seven times in a day, seven times in a day return to you saying, I repent. And you shall? Not you may. Grammar, you? You shall. It's not an option. You shall forgive him. And then? Verse 5. An apostle said to the Lord, Ayo, <laughs> increase our faith. <laughs> increase our faith. Do you remember another verse which you heard today? Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. I'll, I'll check your memory. Brethren, I do not count myself to be apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. I forget. I have forgiven everybody. I'm not going to let unforgiveness block me in my journey with Christ. I'm walking with him. Upward call. I am aiming for him. And one thing can block me. What is that? I know every town I have gone, people have beaten me, abused me, slandered me, done all kinds of things to me. I have forgiven and forgotten. I'm moving on. Who said that today? Good. So you're listening. You're listening. Okay, that's why your ears should be open. Many lives on this road to faith break down by offense. And the offense can be so deep-rooted, hidden in the heart, nobody sees. Can be absolutely controlled like Ahitophel. Or be like Cain. What's the first question outside the garden? Why are you? Angry. Anger is a symptom. Anger is a symptom. The disease is offense. You're offended. You're offended. One of the prime conditions of increasing your faith is choose to walk without being offended. Issues and offense are two different things. Offense is connected with self and pride. In Nazareth, they were offended. And you will always know people are offended their conversation. Isn't he a carpenter? Are you a Dalit? What's your cast? And your laborer? And your maidservant? No, you're offended. Because you thought, in God's eyes, you were greater than that person. Cain was offended, not because his sacrifice was rejected, because Abel's was accepted. And he says, he's a shepherd, I'm a farmer, I work hard. What does he do? Go around this flock every day. What do you think, he's better than me? Offended. Offended. Dangerous. Fence is connected with self and pride. You can't be upset by issues. That's a different thing. You're not offended with the person, with the issues. Issues. I get offended with issues. Again, late. Who do I tell that? 
Did I wish? Again late, I'm waiting. Again late. I'm angry with her. Issue. You carry offense, you are dead in your walk of faith. You are, you break down. And like Afit Offal can have a terrible end. Terrible, terrible end. So watch out for these symptoms. Symptoms are very, very important. Even great men of God can get offended. Matthew 11 and verse 6, Jesus pronounces a blessing. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Who was offended? John the Baptist. Preaching took me to prison. What did you think? Every preaching takes you to the palace? Hey, offended. You ran on Elijah under the anointing faster than Ahab's chariot. It came to Jezreel and stopped. And you saw the chariot passing you by. You thought Ahab and Jezebel will come and invite you and say, come, take the place as the prophet of the nation. Instead, you got a word back. You are dead meat. Now you are offended. You ran and said, I am no better than my parents, my fathers. I want to die. Why do you want to die? Why did Ahitophel kill himself? Because he was so offended that Absalom did not take his counsel. A lot of people would die that way in offense. I will never change. I would rather die. If says die, then you will meet him and we shall have a discussion. We'll have a discussion. Offense. It's a killer. God says, you want to walk by faith? You want to increase your faith? Don't. Deal with offense. Many get offended by the word because it does not fit in with their view about themselves because they are very religious. That's why the Pharisees were all offended with Jesus. They went, did you ever read about any Pharisee going to Jesus to be baptized? No. Did you hear about Pharisees going to John for being baptized? Yes. Why? Because his father was a Pharisee. He was a Levite. It's our class. Brahmin, Brahmin, hai na? Ye Dalit hai, Nazareth se. Who knows whose father is? How dare he preach like that? Who ordained him? Offense. Many get offended. Guard your heart in of, from offense. I'm telling you, children, guard it all when you are young. Because it's very difficult to deal with when you are old. All the things should be done when you are young. The more you handle these things when you are young, it's easier to handle bigger troubles when they come. Otherwise you will be like Isa, grew old, did not grow up. That's King Lear. King Lear grew old, did not grow up. A lot of people grow old, they don't grow up. What is he saying? The high calling of Jesus Christ growing upward. He's saying, I'm not only growing old, I'm growing up towards Christ. There's only one direction you can grow. That is towards Christ. An offense can keep you dead. And guard your heart from offense. Because Jesus' offenses will come. And he will allow. Imagine we had the power of Jesus Christ. When he began his ministry, the devil said, jump down and show your power. Now he's hanging on the cross, everybody is cursing him. He could have shown his power. He was not offended. 
Don't get offended. Be very, very careful. Your resume is just a piece of paper. You are what God says you are. Worm, Jacob, I saved you. I did not look at your resume and save you. <laughs> Means nothing. Okay? Let's go to the next one. Yeah, same. Let's go to Luke chapter 17. By faith. Apostle said, increase our faith. Jesus said, yes, you can. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed. What should you do? You can say to this mulberry tree. This is not a mountain. This has got roots, entrance in holding. Uproot. Not move. Uproot. Offense is there. Pride is there. Self is there. Bitterness is there. Anger is there. All these things are there. Uproot. Speak to yourself every day. Every spirit of offense in my heart, I uproot you. And what should you be do? By the roots. Don't trim the branches. It don't work. With this, branches won't work. You cannot. Uproot it by the roots and be not thrown. If you throw a mulberry tree in the tree, in the sea, it will float. It will come back. It will float. The sea always gives back what was thrown into it. You know that? It brings back. Every, that's why you throw plastic and next time all the plastic is on the shore. I don't want your plastic. You can take it, is what the sea says. What does scripture say? And be planted in the bottom of the sea. Never come back into my life. God says you can. You can. Deal with offense. Every day you do. This is because faith is spoken and dealt with. And you have to deal with. All these things are dealt with. So Jesus can be upset. He is in the flesh. He knows he's been beaten. Beard has been pulled, spat upon, whipped, made to carry the cross. Now had been crucified and is dealing with of See that he's never offended. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. I'll not be offended. When I open my mouth, I will speak life. I will speak faith. Do not know what they are doing. I am not offended by anything that has happened to me in the last 24 hours, you say. He says, I'm not offended. And he's not guilty. And he's not offended. Are you offended? Ahitophel was so offended. Because he was a wise man. This man, he may be a king, but I know he's a fool. And you know what he did to miss my granddaughter, Bechiba. He's offended by his pride. And he never forgave. Never let go. And he carried that offense and went to his grave, probably to hell. But another one, the actual victim. Who's the victim? Bathsheba. She grieved for her husband for 30 days. She forgave David with all her heart. Never carried it into her home. Never told her son Solomon anything what his father had done. Covered his son's ears to so that he always knew only the good of his father. And he always honored father in his mind, in his heart, even after his death. I have told this before so that Solomon, when he makes his declaration after the temple is made, will say, my God, my father. My God, my father. My God, my father. Meaning, Solomon, are you serious? Your mother never told you what your father did to your mother? Never. I don't know what you're talking about. She carried no offense in her heart. But she's the one who has been sinned against. A simple girl who was taken forcibly by the order of the king. And her husband was executed with a death certificate in his own hands. Not offended. 
Proverbs 31. Everybody talks about Proverbs 31. The first verses of Proverbs 31 are by Solomon. And he's what his mother, and he's talking about his mother. Who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. Who's he talking about? He said, my father had many wives and many concubines. At the end, he found my mother. And she was a virtuous woman worth more than all the rubies. She added virtue to her faith. Abigail was supposed to be wiser. Her bedsheba had virtue. Add virtue to your faith. And deal with offense. Deal with offense. Be very, very, very careful. Very, very, because God will give you success and so many of Israel's kings fell when success came. Good kings. I'm not talking about bad kings. Good kings of Israel, whether it is Uzziah or Asa, they all fell when success came. And after that, they got very upset if anybody corrected them. Look at one king called Asa or Asa or whatever of Judah. They began well and they got offended and they hated correction. Yeah, let's go to the next one. That is Second Chronicles 16. Quick, quick. Yeah. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. In this you have done foolishly. Therefore, from now on you shall have wars. And Asa was angry with the, with the prophet. The prophet is just speaking what God told him to speak. And he's a good king who brought reforms in Judah. He got so angry with the seer and put him in prison for he was enraged at him because of this. And then immediately he started oppressing the people. You will always see that these things go together. When you are offended with God and with God, or when you are offended with somebody, you start oppressing them too. If you can't oppress them, you will start oppressing those who are below you. Started oppressing. Look at verse 12 to 13. It's interesting. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa became deceased in his feet and his malady was severe. Don't read history. Read it with eyes of spirit. Meaning, if your feet is deceased in the Old Testament, God is telling you in the New Testament through the spiritual eyes, what is that? His walk of faith had stopped. Gone. It's no more walking with God. It's no more walking in faith. It's gone. And he did not seek the Lord. But the What the scripture says? As arrested with his fathers and died in the 41st year of his reign. 39, 40, 41. How many three years? So God gave him three years. Three years is checking period. Three years. And he said, die. Die in your stubbornness. If he had just turned to God, God would have healed him. But no. That's what I said. All these things you have to be very, very clear when you are young. Deal with deal. Because stubbornness sets in. Even with righteous people, they get so stubborn and die in their stubbornness. And these are all symbols. We are not studying history. We are understanding spiritual principles. How do you walk so your faith increases? Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13, scripture is very clear. These things we speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual we are not learning history from Chronicles and Kings and First Samuel, Second Samuel. We are trying to say from their lives, what are you trying to tell us? He says, learn from them. 
how I deal. I never change. I'm the same yesterday, today and forever. I never change. Jesus says you have to deal with offense by faith. Be moved. Be uprooted and be planted in the sea. And that's what Bethsaida did in her life. So she was honored above all. She was one of his, she was his last wife. After that there was a concubine which the servants brought called Shambhag or something. I forgot her name. Huh? Abhishag, yeah. When he was old. But he didn't even touch her. But that was his, probably his last wife. But she was the one who was honored both by father, that is David, king, and Solomon. Because the throne went to her son. Throne didn't go to the elders. It went to him. And you know why Solomon got the throne? Because he had a mother who was virtuous. Trained him that way. No offense. You can train your children to be virtuous only if you are not offended with your husband. Others will be always pointing out the weaknesses and the frailties of that man. He was like this, he was like this, he was like this. And all the children go away. And all David's children were rebels. Why? Implanted by the mothers. And one mother who should have been the most offended. Kept her mouth shut. Covered the father. And honored the husband. And you know, one day Solomon will be king. And Bathsheba will sit beside him on a throne. Be honored. Why? Because you honored my father, I will honor you. Understand these things, children. This is life. The life of faith. Planted. Let it be planted. These are fundamental truths. We haven't finished, okay? We pay through our nose for three hours on a Sunday and I shall take full benefit of it. Luke chapter 17. Go back to verse 5 onwards. And the apostle said to Jesus, increase our faith. So he says, deal with offense. Okay, 6 he said. Pull it from the roots and let it be planted in the sea. In verse 7. And which of you having a servant plowing or tending sheep will say to him, when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat. But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself, serve me till I have eaten and drunk and afterward you will eat and drink. Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise you, when you have done all those things which are commanded, say we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our Duty to do. Do you want to increase your faith? It's all the same. Jesus is teaching his disciples. He said you want to increase your faith. First, don't hold offense. Deal with offense every day of your life. Second, Ecclesiastic chapter 12 verse 13. Solomon's final words. Let us hear the whole counsel of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is, another version will say, the whole duty of man. Understand this concept about duty very, very, very clearly. Duty triumphs over everything. It triumphs over everything. Everything in life, duty comes first. Duty comes first. Second Samuel chapter 11 verse 1. The beginning of the fall of David. No, yeah. 11, 1. No, 11, 1. 11, 11 is after that. I didn't give 11, 1 there. Oh, not 2nd Samuel. Where am I? 2nd Samuel, 11. Not 1st Samuel. 
Second Samuel 11, 1. Let's leave the Ammonite. And let's, it happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle. David stayed at home. What's his duty? Go to battle. What did he do? Stayed at home. That's the beginning of his fall. You should know your duty, whatever you're called to do. It's not who is watching you. In David's days, there were no CCTV cameras. The boss is watching you. No. We don't need CCTV cameras. He forgot his duty. He forgot his and that's where the fall begins. He takes Uriah's wife. Now she is pregnant. Now he gets Uriah home and tries to get him go sleep with her. He doesn't. Listen to what he says in verse 11. Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents. My Lord Job and the servants of my Lord are encamped in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife? Sir, I'm a soldier. I just came back from the battlefield because you called me. Because you called me, that doesn't mean the battle is over. My body is here, my heart is there. I know that's where I belong. My sense of duty demands this is not the time for fun. This is not the time for pleasure. Because duty calls me there. I'm looking at all the other soldiers who are with me. Nobody has the privilege to go to their wife. I've been given an opportunity not to go to my wife to meet the king. Because the king had some urgent message. So I came to meet my king. I did not come to go to my wife. What a man. Understand duty? That's what Jesus is telling. You want your faith to grow? Understand what is your God-given duties are. Understand what your God-given duties are. Years later, Absalom takes over. David is running. When David is running, some of his faithful soldiers go with him. One of them is not an Israelite. So David gives you an option. Why do you want to walk with me? Go. Go join Absalom. That's where your future lies. Listen to his answer. Second Samuel. Ittai answered the king and said, As the Lord lives and as my Lord the king lives, surely in whatever place my Lord the king shall be, whether in death or life, even there also your servant will be. I'm sorry, sir. I'm your bodyguard. And I will not abandon you. Where you go, I go. In life or death. It doesn't matter. That's my duty. That's my duty. You know, President Reagan was shot. He was one of those presidents who escaped an assassination attempt. He was shot. He got a couple, one or two shots. But do you know why he survived? Because the Secret Service security guard went in front and took the final shot. He knew it was his duty. Not to save his life. But to save his life. That's what your sworn duty has Secret Service. At the cost of my life, I will save the life of my president. If I have to choose my life and his life, it's my life. I will die for him. Duty. So there are so many secret service entailed to President Reagan. Only one man is known. He survived. Only one man is known. Why? Because he put duty 
ahead of his life. Duty. Duty. And God brings his sense of duty into every aspect of life. And he said, do not let your emotions and your feelings and all your reasoning overpower your sense of duty. Because feelings will fluctuate like the weather. You may wake up this morning and think, I don't want to go to work. Get up and go. It's your duty. I don't want to go to church. Get up and go. Even if you don't feel it, go. Because it's your duty. And even into the most intimate of relationships, he brings duty. Strange. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife. And likewise the wife to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent. And for a time, so that you may devote yourself to prayer, then come together again so Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self. What does he bring there? Duty. He said even marriage relationships is not based on feelings. He said it's duty. You have a duty. Once you got together, you have a duty to each other that applies to every facet of life. You have You are, you are bound by duty in life. God says, you want to increase your faith? Know what your duty is, various spheres. Those who are students, you need to know what your duty is. As a student, your duty is to study and not play games. That's your duty. To the best you can. As employees, your duty is to do your best and you give your best. Every area duty comes. Duty. Triumphs over every feeling and reasoning. Duty. You have a sense of duty? No, that's not enough. You may be very dutiful. That's not enough. Be very careful. There are people who are bound by the sense of duty in the world who are not believers. So at that level, everybody is the same. What does the kingdom of God bring into duty so that your faith increases. Go to 17 and verse 10. Likewise, when you have done all these things which you are commanded, say we are. Uh, why do you say? I am unworthy. Don't get your sense of worth from your duty. See, if you are very good in doing your duty, you will succeed in life. And after that, that is your worth. That's your worth. That leads to offense when your worth is not recognized. It's a trap. The devil will trap people who are good at doing their duty. Because the more you are dutiful, the more excellent you become in your work. And after that, you want to be recognized. God says, get away from that trap. That was that fellow's trap over there. He was very good as a worship leader and after that, you know what? He wanted to be higher than me. He thought he was smarter than, without realizing everything that makes you smart, I give it to you free. At the end of the day, you need to say what? I am? What does it mean? You owe me nothing. I owe you everything. This is where we get caught. Because we do our duty and think we are worthy, then we have pride then we get offended. 
Be very, very careful about these things if you really want to increase your faith. I was telling Pastor Vijay when we go, we go to places, we don't introduce ourselves. We don't mention our church. We don't, because no, we are doing our duty. We're just doing our duty. What is there about us? Did we preach anything which we did not receive? Did you do anything other than what you received? Your life, your breath, your intelligence, your brain, your strength, your money, everything is God's. You had nothing, I had nothing. We came empty, we go empty. In between all that we had, God gave. Do you remember that two incidents alone in Jesus' life where he talks about two different people and both unbelievers, both Gentiles, a Roman centurion and a Canaanite woman and he says, great is your faith. Great is your faith. Do you know why he said great is your faith to the Roman centurion? Why did his faith become great? Matthew 8, verse 7 and 8. This man comes and says, my servant is very ill. Jesus said, I will come and heal him. And the centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not. But the first thing he recognizes, he recognizes he is unworthy. You want great faith? You want great faith? You want to increase your faith? Recognize before God every day, I am nothing and you are everything. The first thing he says is, I am not worthy. Though he's a Roman centurion with 100 Roman soldiers, they rule Israel. He says, come. You want a horse? He says, no. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. How do we pray? First thing he recognizes is his unworthiness. Do we recognize our unworthiness before God? Do you? Honestly? Because the more you get knowledge, the more you are good in anything. You can't be good in anything. You could be a cobbler who makes fantastic shoes and think that is your worth. Now you are looking at everybody's shoes and says, you don't know how to make shoes. Look at mine. Could be anything. It doesn't matter what you do. The question is, does your worth come from what you do? You're trapped. Pride sets in. And it's a Roman centurion. It's an officer in the Roman army. And he, Rome rules over Israel. That's Gentile slaves. What does he first recognize before Jesus? I am unworthy. Do we recognize our unworthiness? This is all got to do with it. Because if I consider myself worthy as a pastor, then I will look down on all pastors. Old days, it used to be there. Because you were young. And then you realized you were called to mainline big churches. And then you realize they don't know how to preach. And you could preach. And then Pride was setting in. Once, before they called me to preach, I was sitting up there in the podium with the priests and all. And there was this poor priest, a priest meaning simple man, with his white robe standing there, introducing me. And as he was introducing me, I heard the spirit tell me in my ear, look at his feet. I looked down at his feet. And so what is 
spirit trying to tell me, he says, look at his feet. I looked at his feet. When I looked at his feet, under his cloak, his trouser was showing. And his trouser was all torn. And he said, he too serves me. Don't forget. Don't think you're more worthy than him. You got a gift? He doesn't have it. The gift is mine, not yours. The gift works better in you because you practiced it. But the gift is mine. It's not yours. If you're an excellent doctor, I'm unworthy. Excellent engineer, unworthy. Excellent software developer, unworthy. Whatever you are, end of the day say, Lord, I'm unworthy. I just did what I was called to do. Save you a lot of trouble now and in eternity. Because you don't want to face his eyes in eternity. And have your entire life record be put over there and he says, you were angry. You were offended. You looked down on people. Who made you worthy? Who made you worthy? Was not it I? That's what he tells Israel. (laughs) He took Jacob's family into Egypt. Changes the whole circumstance. Joseph dies. And after that, a pharaoh rose who did not know Joseph. And 400 years, they are slaves. Slaves, 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 slaves. Beaten, spat upon, used slaves. And then he tells them, you know why I picked you? Because you are nothing. That's why I picked you. You're the smallest. You're nothing. That's why I picked you. Never ever Israel boasts in your history. I picked you because you're big and smart. I picked you because you're small and nothing. You worm, Jacob. Everything Israel will be is because I am the God of Israel. Not because of anything else. That's why even salvation is by grace. And not by works. Get this all things right if you want to grow in faith. Let's go to another incident. Matthew 15 verses 25 to 28. And she came and worshipped him saying, Who is this? Canaanite woman. Lord help me. And he answered, It's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And what did she say? And she said, Yes Lord, even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. And Jesus answered and said to her, Oh woman, great is your... How is her faith great? She didn't get offended. He called her a kutta. Called her a dog. Today you can't call somebody in US he or she because you're not sure about their gender. They get offended. Here a woman is being called a dog and she's not offended. She's not offended. When Elijah, Elisha sent his servant to the leper, Naman, leper Naman, and told him, go to the river Jordan, dip yourself. He was offended. Who's offended? The leper is offended. The leper also has pride. <laughs> Because he thought the prophet will come and wave his hand like this. 
poor servant girl said, Lord, if he had. Aren't there better rivers in Damascus? Rama, these are all twin brothers. Asa was offended. Uzziah was offended. Naman was offended. When these things come in, faith just stops in its tracks. Because everything you and I receive is not based on our virtue or our knowledge or anything. By grace and grace alone. So at the end of the day, every day what should you say? Luke 17 and verse 10. We are unprofitable servants. What we did was our duty. It's my duty. First, know your duty. Second, do your duty. And stay humble in your duty. Let God say that day, well done. Before God says, start saying, well, don't say, start saying, well done. Okay. Only time you say, well done, is when you're cooking chicken. Well done. Otherwise, don't say over yourself, well done. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verses 15. Not boasting about the things beyond measure that is in other men's labors, but having hope that as your faith is increased, we shall be greatly enlarged by you in our sphere. Shall I have it in NIV also? So they understand. All our children think that English is very good when they go to Good Shepherd. When they come to church, they realize that English doesn't match so much. Because the real good shepherd comes here. (laughs) Neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of work done by others. Our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our area of activity among you will greatly expand. How do you know if faith has increased? You know when your faith has increased because God is able to do more in you and through you. You getting it? That's how you know. God is able to do more in you and through. In you is his first work and through you is his next work. He's able to do more in you and through you. Your faith is increasing and it's continuous. In Mark chapter 4, verse 30 to 32, Jesus said, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, now he uses another example of the mustard seed. He said, to what shall we liken the kingdom of God or with what parable shall we picture? It's like a mustard seed, which when it is sown on the ground is smaller than all the seeds on the earth. But when it is sown, it grows up, becomes greater than all the herbs, shoots out large branches so that the birds of the air may nest under its shade. How many people have found shade under you because your faith grew? So if you have faith as small as a mustard seed and you start practicing it and using it and practicing it, your faith will grow and God will send people who will find shelter under the shadow of your wings. Are we there? David started alone. Then when he ran, he ran 
First of all, his parents, father did, disregarded him, never even called him when Samuel came. His brother Eliab and all were angry with him. But 1 Samuel 22 narrative changes. David therefore departed from there, escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and his father's house heard it, they went down there. They humbled themselves and went down and found shelter under the mustard tree called David. Little later, everyone who was in, everyone who was distressed found a mustard tree. Everyone who was in debt found a mustard tree. Everyone who was discontent gathered to him. And there were 400 men with him. Sometime later he had 600 men with him. And then one day Saul dies. Now he has Hebron and Judah with him. Seven years later he has all Israel under him. Why? He was a mustard seed faithful. And he grew and he grew and he grew. Grow. God says it will. We come to the conclusion. Romans 12 verses 3 to 5. You cannot escape this. For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think about himself more highly than he ought to think. Don't think too low. Don't think too high. Just think about yourself correctly. But to think soberly as God has dealt to each one. What? Ah, Everybody has been given a measure of faith. If you don't have it, you are not saved. If you are saved, you have it. Everybody has been given a measure of faith. And as we have many members in one body, but all members do not have the same function, we are called to do different things. So we being many are one body in grace and individually members of one another. Yeah, let's go further. Yeah, let's go to verse 6 also. Yeah, verse 6. Having gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Let us use them. Example he's saying. If your gift is prophesying, prophesy in. Ah. Don't do which is beyond your faith. Know your faith. Know your gift. Everybody has a gift if you're born again. You have to discover it. Everybody has been given a measure of faith. But use your gift in proportion to your faith. And as you do it, your faith will increase, your gift also will increase. Discover your gift, use it in proportion to your faith, and you will suddenly realize your faith is increasing and your gift is getting more and more and more useful. Let me tell you a secret. Listen carefully. Faith in the kingdom of God is like money in this world. If you go to any rich man, that's India's rich man. The richest is Mukesh Ambani, richest guy. 40 billion or something. Billion, we don't know even how much it is. 40 billion. But if you actually go to him according to his wealth and ask him how much do you have in your bank, you would be shocked. You know, rich men don't keep money in the bank. Because money in the bank is a waste. None of the rich men have money in the bank. They use cards. They didn't use cash. And if Indians have cash, it will be black. They don't keep money in the bank because money in the bank is a waste. It's simple middle class poor people who put it in FD and hope for 6.5% interest because they don't know how to use money. The rich men become rich because they know how to use money. 
And to use money, to multiply money, you always have to take risks. You go to Bill Gates and ask him how much cash you have. He says, I don't have much. But are you the richest man? Yes. Where is it? All in stocks. So when stocks go up, he's richer. When stocks count down, he's poorer. But he doesn't have much cash. In the same way, if you keep faith at home, you will be a poor man. Faith has to be used. And there will be risks. 600 men sitting under a tree with the king called Saul. No man had a sword except Saul and his son Jonathan. And Jonathan is tired and he tells his armor baby, let's go. Scripture says they both left the camp. Neither the king nor the priest knew they have left the camp. And when they left the camp, Jonathan tells his armor bear, God can save with many or few. He says, Lord, what do you want to do? I am with you. Let's go. And that's the beginning of the victory of Israel over Philistine. Because two men decided, we are going to take a risk. One sword enough. With one sword we will fight. All God is looking. God is not looking at numbers. God is looking at faith. And that day he found two men. And that man's name is never mentioned. Only thing you know about him is Jonathan. Then at the end, Jonathan and his armor bearer both died in the unknown man. But unknown man of faith. So that's the way it is. People who are rich are rich because they take risk and they use their money. They know, they have studied the market, they know how to, how to, what to, where to, this thing. They are studying everything, they are looking which one is, which one is, and they take risk. Sometimes they lose, sometimes they make big. But they, they know how to invest, and they make more money and more money. In the same way is with faith. To whom much is given, much is required. He says, who has much more will be given to him. And we said, this is not socialism. God says, I am not a socialist. I am a full-grown capitalist. That's why when people come to God, he will say, good, you are faithful in little things. Good, you exercised your faith. Now come and take charge of ten cities. Take more, take more, take more. That's how faith works. So we have learned quite a few things. The primary things is be very careful. Walk in forgiveness, walk without offense, and know your unworthiness always before God. Before people. Before people. We are unworthy. Because that's what God asks. What is that you have which you didn't receive? That's how Saul began. King Saul began. When they actually had to crown him. Where's, where's that man? Where's the man? Tallest man. Where is he? Where is he? Where is he? Where is he? Nowhere to be found hiding under the baggage. There was a luggage. He hid under the luggage. And three years later after his king, hero Israel, hero Israel. He didn't fight his son's fought and he's taking the credit. And scripture says on the way going, he built a monument for himself. King Saul Ministries. You know what God comes and says, when you were small in your own eyes, didn't I exalt you? It's a good place to be. What? Every time you look in the mirror, say, I am small in my own eyes. Not six packs. Seven. Honey. One day you will realize you have just a backpack. Meaning nobody is using you. The back. And the pack. Backpack is a burden. You know that, right? 
So you always have to ask in God's eyes, am I a blessing or am I a burden? Am I a blessing or am I a burden? That's why you're asking, Lord, increase my faith so that I can be a blessing. I want, I had little faith, Lord. I heard, I want to start practicing it. Help me, O oh Lord. Not in my strength, in your grace. And I want to grow. Why? I want many to take shelter. Those who are desperate, those who are destitute, those who are in debt, those who are distressed, let them come. But I need your grace, O oh Lord. I need your grace. And I will not be offended. I'll always realize my unworthiness. Amen? Let us stand. I got it. Two minutes my watch says. Father, we just thank you, Lord. We just thank you. We just thank you. We just thank you, Lord. We thank you, Father, that we are not saved by our works. If we were saved by our works, who can stand before thee? None. We are only saved by your grace. And help us from the beginning of our walk to our end. That it's only by faith. We can please you. And when we believe and when we obey, the power is not ours, it is yours. The gift is ours, it is yours. The faith, even the faith was given as a gift. Help us to have a sense of duty. And the sense of our own unworthiness. And help us not to be offended. For you said, blessed is he who is not offended because of me. My word. Guard our hearts, Lord. Help us not to make the mistakes of the mighty men and women in the Bible. Help us to learn from everyone and anyone around. Because we do not know through whom or what you may speak to us again today. Help our spiritual ears and eyes, senses to be open. Because Lord, you could use a donkey to speak to a prophet, a rooster to speak to an apostle. Or a wild flower on the field to teach Israel, not even the lilies of the field. Not even Solomon in all his grandeur was dressed like one of them. We do not know Lord what you could speak to us. Whom you could speak to us. So help us to have that sense of unworthiness. That everything that we have received. We have received freely from your hands. And therefore freely we will also be givers Lord. Holding nothing back. Not to be offended. Deal with issues as issues. Not to be offended with people. Because offense killed greatest of great men, the wisest of wise men, the most good-looking of good-looking men and women were destroyed by offense. Help us not to reason too much, but to hear, to believe, and obey. Because this is the whole duty of man. Thank you, Father. As we go through this day, this week, this month, I commit each one into thy hands. I pray the hand of the living God will rest upon each one of us. Continue to guide us and move us in the direction you have chosen for each one, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Now by faith, we lift up holy hands and we bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. When we open our mouths and we declare, Thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever, O Lord. Thank you, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen and amen.